the teams you care about. The Patriots are now closer to the bottom of the AFC than the top. That's a fact. The stories that matter to you. Trevor Story, man, he makes the Red Sox much, much better in 2022. This is your home for New England sports. I'm just wondering what happens next for UVA, because I think there could be a lot of turnover on that roster. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB-AM-FM and WDEBradio.com. Yeah, there is going to be turnover on that UVM roster. We'll talk about the Ryan Davis news coming up in the 6 o'clock hour, but right now it's just 5.30, okay? We're up for 90 minutes today. What's up, everybody? It is the Brady Farkas Show here on this Monday on WDEB-AM and FM and WDEBradio.com. All 90 minutes until 7 o'clock, then Jazz with George Thomas, Eye on the World with John Batchelor. So we'll get to the UVM stuff with Ryan Davis, as I said, just after 6 o'clock. Some notes on the Patriots as well. And we're going to hear from our Celtics insider and friend of the show, Adam Kaufman. We'll do that at about 5.45. You can get in on the Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. Your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. You can also watch us live on Facebook Live and YouTube Live as well. And you can comment there. So we look forward to getting your comments however you get into the show. So now let's waste no time. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center. Locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. Things just can't stay good, apparently, for the Boston Celtics. Okay, The Celtics yesterday rolled the Timberwolves, and in doing so, assumed first place in the Eastern Conference standings. And then today, we get the news that starting center Robert Williams is out indefinitely with a torn meniscus. We're going to have more information on his timeline in the next couple of days. We don't know if it's going to be two weeks. We don't know if it's going to be season-ending. We don't know if there's if there's surgery. We're not sure, but what we do know is that this is not good. I saw you know, a study was done a handful of years ago that usually, on average, torn meniscus took six weeks for players to come back from. At the very least, that would cost you the rest of the regular season and at least the first round of the playoffs and a lot of the second round as well. So Robert Williams out for the foreseeable future, it looks like, for the Celtics. And on a day when the Seas take over first place in the Eastern Conference, this is this is just devastating news. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that they can't win or can't figure it out or won't be good, but this is devastating news. And this is just such a gut punch to this team and to this fan base because the Celtics – have not only yesterday did they take over first place in the Eastern Conference, they've won 24 of 28. Like, I remember coming in here in November and in December, and every day I do the afternoon news service and I play you highlights and I read you stats, and the Celtics would win one, lose one, and they're 15 and 17, and they're 17 and 18, and they're 19 and 20, and they could net for the first 40 games, the first half of the season, the Celtics were right around 500 or a little bit worse. They have been on an absolute tear. They have won 24 of 28, and Robert Williams is a major reason why. He's a major reason why both offensively 
and defensively. He is a huge piece of what they do. And now he's not here for we have no idea how long. And again, it may be the entirety of the rest of the Celtics season. And, you know, before we talk about what it all means and who needs to step up and how the team can compensate from this, and we're going to get to all of that over the course of this show, but before we get to all of that, my first reaction to this story, Robert Williams' torn meniscus, it's just a human reaction. I just feel bad today, and I'm, dis- and I'm disappointed that once again, the Celtics are going to head into a playoffs or into a playoff run where they are not at their best because they have been crippled by things like this for the last several years. I mean, like this is just a cruel joke at this point. I mean, seriously, go back the last several years. Can you find one year where you felt really good about the Celtics' health situation, either heading into the playoffs or right once they got there? Because there, it doesn't exist. 2017-18, Isaiah Thomas hurts his hip. He's out of the Eastern Conference Finals. The team loses, season over. Then, Kyrie Irving, multiple knee injuries. Gordon Hayward's horrific ankle injury when he first got here. Another ankle injury. You know, subsequently, I think in this point in 2020 into 21, uh, Jalen Brown had the wrist injury last year that cost him the playoffs. Kemba Walker, multiple knee injuries, including in the bubble when that team was playing pretty well. Like then last year, this team was so decimated by COVID. I mean, this team has never, for the last five years, has not really caught in a break. And Again, today, they failed to catch a break because we had wondered for so long, oh, what would happen if the Celtics could just get healthy? What would happen? How good could they be if they could just be together? And we got a snapshot of that for the last two and a half months. And what they were when they were together was pretty darn good and pretty darn special. And now you don't have that. And I told you, you're going to hear from Adam Kaufman, Celtics insider here, in the next 15 minutes. Well, he basically said that exact same thing earlier today. Because over the last couple of years, you know, really going back to, I mean, hell, you can go back to when, like, Isaiah Thomas went down at the end of his final year in Boston. Yeah. And all the way through, whether you know, injuries to Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward multiple times, including five minutes into his Celtics career, on to Kemba Walker. You know, Jalen Brown at the end of last season, you had going back, you had multiple injuries in the bubble again, Ir- Walker and, and Hayward. You, they're just last year, it, this team was hit harder than anybody else with COVID. I just feel bad. I feel bad for the Celtics, for the fans. I feel bad for Ime Udoka. I feel bad for Brad Stevens, who remade this roster and by all accounts has done a pretty good job. Everybody was getting excited about this team. And again, I don't know that this means that the team's season and hopes are over. I know that their road gets a lot harder, though, without Robert Williams. I, I I feel bad for guys that have bought into their roles, and now their roles have to change. I feel bad for everybody. And I told you my first reaction here was a human one. I feel bad for Robert Williams himself also, because Robert Williams, you know, they call him the Time Lord. Because you remember when they drafted him? Like, he, like, missed 
his first flight to Boston or something. He was missing meetings. Like he's gone from that guy who you couldn't necessarily depend on, who you weren't sure if they were mature enough to be a good NBA player, to a guy who's got a four-year contract extension, to a guy who's a huge part of the best defense in the NBA, and a guy who gives huge amounts of energy to that roster. And I mentioned he's got that four-year contract extension, and he has earned it this year. So I feel I feel bad when guys take a huge jump and then get their legs cut out from under them. Robert Williams is averaging 10 points per game. That's a career high. He's averaging 10 rebounds per game. That's a career high. He's averaging a career high in assists per game, blocks per game, steals per game, field goal percentage per game, and minutes per game. Robert Williams is playing the best basketball he's ever played. He's a hugely important part of this team, and now again, his legs are cut out from under him, and they just feel bad because that's not fair. It hurts the team. It hurts him. I feel bad for him, and you know he's gotten better every single year, and this year has been the culmination of that improvement, and Robert Williams has solidified the big man position for this organization. We've been looking at them to do that for the last several years, right? There was Ennis Cantor, and there was Daniel Tice a couple of years ago. There was Aaron Baines, and there was Tristan Thompson, and now there was a younger version of Robert Williams. So now this version of Robert Williams has solidified the big man position. He's been largely healthy this year. He was on track to play nearly 70 games after never having played more than 52, and now this happens. This is just a gut punch. I feel bad for him. I feel bad for his teammates. I feel bad for us, the fans. It's disappointing, and it's just another year and another issue for a Celtics star or a Celtics key cog either going into the playoffs or right once they got there. And... You know, here we are. We don't we don't know how long Robert Williams is going to be out. Again, could it be two weeks? Maybe. I think Joel Embiid had a torn meniscus and was able to play pretty quickly without without surgery. Could also be a season ender. We just don't know. It's the Brady Farkas show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Frank says, What's up? Listening from Dalton, New Hampshire. Frank, welcome. And now the question that I'm sure a lot of you have really is, okay, how big a deal is this? Well, it's a really big deal. I don't want to bore you all with the numbers. Okay, I, I could get lost in a million different numbers, but just understand this. Williams is a huge anchor to this roster. When Robert Williams plays this year, the team is 40-21, and 21, nearly a 667 winning percentage. When he doesn't play, they're 7-7. Seven and seven. 500. They're clearly better when he's on the floor. When Robert Williams plays, they score, or rather the defense, allows four less points. The defense is four points better when Robert Williams plays versus when Robert Williams doesn't. The point differential for the team when Robert Williams plays is plus seven and a half. When he doesn't, it's plus four. So this team is better, and the numbers bear that out. And Do you remember last week? When Kendrick Perkins, former Celtics big man, he said on ESPN, March 25th, on Friday, that the Celtics have the best starting five in the NBA. Robert Williams is a part of that. Okay, we got that. Here's Perk. 
They have the best starting five in basketball. When you look at Jason Tatum, MVP candidate, in my opinion. He's not going to win it, but he's in the conversation. You have Jay LeBron, who has accepted his role and kind of took somewhat of a backseat to Jason Tatum and now is looking like one of the better two-way players in the game. And it's a true statement that they actually could win a championship. The best starting five in the NBA. Robert Williams is a part of that. The numbers, again, I won't bore you with them. The numbers bear out that the Celtics starting five, when healthy and together, was really darn good. And now you've taken away one of those key pieces in Robert Williams. So we will see what happens. We will see what Ime Odoka comes up with. We'll get a look at it tonight when the Celtics take on the Toronto Raptors north of the border. Now, Williams not going to be there. Tatum and Brown aren't playing tonight either at this point. Kind of making sure they're right for the playoffs. Cannot afford to lose anybody else, but uh, a gut punch. A gut punch for the fans. A gut punch for Williams. And uh, certainly going to cost some, going to make it uh, so that Ime Odoka has to find some creativity in how he puts this roster together moving forward as we head to the playoffs. The Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEV Radio. Com. I'll tell you the two guys that need to step up for the Celtics in the wake of Williams' injury. And you'll hear from Adam Kaufman, WBZ News Radio in Boston. He's with us next on DEV. 211 to learn more. Think you know sports better than Brady does? Text in with your thoughts at 802 585 3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Adam Kaufman, you'll hear from him, Celtics Insider, WBZ News Radio in Boston. We'll do that in a couple of moments. The two guys that need to step up for the Celtics in the wake of Robert Williams' absence. And this is, this is not rocket science, okay? If the Celtics are going to tread water without Williams or win without Williams, they're going to need big-time boosts from both Daniel Tice and and Al Horford. Again, not rocket science. Tice and Horford, two big guys on this roster. They need to step up. Tice is a physical player, can play defense, has the ability to score, can hit a couple of jump shots from the outside, and Horford is a guy who knows the system, will work hard defensively and on the glass, and is a good passer. I actually do think the Celtics can get some decent production out of those two but they don't bring the same energy that Williams does when he's out there. Williams brings you all facets of the game, right? He can score, he can rebound, and he can defend. With Tyson Horford, you're not getting all of that in one package. You're getting parts of that. You have to hope you can cobble together enough to try to stay relatively at the same level. Again, Williams can score, rebound, and defend. He's a great shot blocker, super athletic, 10 rebounds a game. Horford and and William or Horford and Tice rather, they are not those players. But can you cobble together enough production to make it okay? We'll see. I actually think that you can. I'm gonna most. I'm gonna really gonna miss Williams's energy because they're a different team when he's out there. Um, what I don't need in all of this. What I don't need if I'm the Boston Celtics is I don't need. Jason Tatum to just try to shoulder the load on his own. We have gotten to a point, to a really fun point 
in Celtics basketball where the C's are playing selfless hoops. And a lot of the guys mentioned it last week. We had uh, Tatum talk about it, I believe. We had Marcus Smart talk about it. We had Ime Odoka talk about it, how unselfish they were being. Passing up good shots for great shots. The ball is moving. Everyone is touching it. If you're Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to a degree, you have to keep that mentality up. I don't want them to feel like they have to take ownership of the offense and and you know so much that it ends up limiting that selflessness and sets them back. I know that they are the leaders. I know that they are the guys that are that feel ownership, but even in Robert Williams's absence, they still need to play within the confines of what has worked. You have to trust your teammates. You have to understand that it's all about, you know, that, that it's not just about you rescuing the team. Move the ball, continue to move it, get it in other guys' hands, trust them to make shots. We've got six games left after tonight in the regular season. I want to see Tatum and Brown continue to play that selfless style they've been playing here for several months. Just because Williams is gone and one less offensive piece is there doesn't mean you have to change everything that's gotten you to this point. So earlier today, I talked with Adam Kaufman of WBZ News Radio in Boston, and he's our guy, also hosts the Celtics Beat podcast, and we love having Adam on. We talked to him at about 10 o'clock this morning, right before the Robert Williams news dropped. So you're not going to hear the whole interview because the first part of the interview you know, isn't really relevant right now. The whole interview is up online on our podcast channel. The first part of the interview, again, not really relevant in the wake of the Robert Williams news. So I'll just bring you the back half of the interview. And I started with Adam. We started talking about Jason Tatum. And I said to him, you know, Adam, in sports radio, we do this all the time, right? We talk about who would you rather have for the next five years? Who would you start a team with if you were building one today? How, who would, who's more valuable at their contract? I don't want to ask you this question in that way. But when it comes to Jason Tatum, and it comes to other young players in the NBA. Where does Tatum rank in terms of your favorite players to watch? Not necessarily who's better, but your favorite players to watch. It's really funny the way you framed the question because I've had that conversation with a lot of people lately. Obviously, you know, being a Celtics fan and follower and you know, person with a podcast, I, I love Jason Tatum. And he's he's young, you know, he's 24 years old. He's already a what he's he's been to NBA All Star Weekend yeah. five times, three time All Star, two time starter. You know he's statistically speaking, setting records left and right, doing things that we haven't seen since Larry Bird, doing some things that we haven't seen ever in the Celtics organization. He and Jalen Brown both, for that matter. Obviously, I love Jason Tatum. I do think though, if we're framing it the way that you frame the question, who do I enjoy watching more? I think he's you know. He's something of an assassin, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like he, he's sort of like a quiet mercenary out there. And I know he's 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 showing his personality a little bit more on the floor. I'm talking on the floor in terms of you know kind of the like the Kevin Garnett primal screams and uh, just just being a little bit more animated. But uh, and this is not me saying I would trade him for any of these guys. We're just talking about pure enjoyment. I would say I enjoy watching. Luka Doncic more. Yeah. I enjoy watching John ja Moran more. I enjoy, you know, like some of the other young stars uh, around the league that are probably, again, this is not me saying they're better. They're just a little flashier than Jason Tatum. And so I find that to be a little more pleasing to the eyes. 
But Tatum is an unbelievable player. I mean, truly, he is a budding superstar. He is going to be a superstar. He's arguably a top 10 player in the league right now. I believe he'll be top five at some point. Uh, you could say he's playing like a top five player at this moment. I still wouldn't call him a top five player, but he's playing like a top five player. I do think, though, at some point in time, when he does what he's doing right now, over an entire season. That, to me, is what's missing. You need to see it for a whole year. When he does it for a whole year, he'll be a top-five player. He will be a guy that you know will be not just in the sort of the periphery of the MVP conversation. He'll be a legitimate, most valuable player candidate, and I believe he will win the award at some point in time. If he's a Celtic for a, a long time, you know, dare I, I say his entire <laughs> career in this you know, in this era of players that that just don't do that anymore. Certainly, you know, he he's got a strong potential to win championships and that name, the number, is is gonna go up in the rafters. He is he is an excellent, excellent player. But he's not necessarily the first one I'd choose in terms of enjoyment to watch. I don't remember how the question was asked to him yesterday, but they asked him in the press conference something like you know, what did it mean to you to get your your rhythm going offensively this season? Or how does it feel to be where you're at now? And he said, I wish I had done this all season because then I'd be the MVP. Mm-hmm. Does it bother you that that was at the forefront of his mind and not some kind of team-oriented goal here on the day they, they get this the East number one, you know, number one spot right now? I hear what you're saying. Um, I, I do get it. I just think that, you know, players for the most part, this is not a Tatum thing. I think players for the most part – you know, here in this generation, not to say they weren't, you know, in the 70s, 80s, or 90s either, but, you know, the players are just wired a certain way where it is kind of a the initial reaction to anything is a little bit of me first. And that's not him being selfish or cocky or whatever, but I, I think that, you know, coming off of losing out really on what was unfair in, in my mind and certainly in his, wasn't my wallet that was affected, yeah, but losing true. out on, on the all-NBA teams, you know, on on a you know kind of a, a questionable vote and it winds up costing him you know what 30 million dollars something yeah. like that just because he wasn't placed on an all nba team when he when at least he he was definitely deserving of being a part of the all nba third team i i think some of that recognition matters to him you know he's he's had to listen you know, you think back like real or staged who the hell knows but you think back <laughs> to like last night at the oscars and, yeah. and Will smith slapping chris rock you know it's it his whole acceptance speech was about, you know, alluding anyway. He made it about King Richard, but he he alluded to the fact that, like, hey, I've been in this business for decades, and I've had to hear a lot of crap. I've had to hear and, and maybe just snapped. Well, Jason Tatum, in his very short time in the NBA, has had to hear a lot of, you know, he's not a leader. He and Jalen Brown can't coexist. He cares about himself and his stats more than he does about winning and he's not all NBA and he doesn't deserve that money and all this stuff that I I think that you know some of that uh just emotionally had any again he's 24 he's a kid how does that not you know some of that stuff not strike you at times so uh, I'm sure that for him part of it and like you I don't know exactly how the question was asked either but I'm sure he's sitting around like he's, he's listening to him getting MVP chance in Denver when you have arguably the MVP on the other side, certainly the reigning MVP, but in my mind, also this year's MVP in Nick Jokic. He's probably sitting there saying, man, I mean, if, if, if I had been doing all year what I've been doing just the second half of the year, I would be a guy that, that would be the most valuable player of this league. You still have some people saying they were 11th in the East. If they finish first in the East ahead of Embiid, Ahead of Giannis, the turnaround they had, 
led by Tatum, statistically what he's doing, he should be the most, the, the, the most valuable player of the league. I'm not going to go that far, and I don't think it'll be, you know, ultimately the, the votes will be tallied that way, but you can understand a little bit of why he feels as as he feels. Adam Kaufman, WBZ News Radio in Boston, Celtics beat the podcast. Go check it out. All the uh, insight on your C's who are rolling right now. Six straight wins heading in to Toronto tonight. Adam, we'll talk again soon. Look forward to it. Absolutely. Adam Kaufman. Again, that was my part of my talk from earlier today with him. Remember, uh, we spoke before the Robert Williams news came out. So that's why you didn't hear the full interview right there because some of it was no longer really relevant. But the full interview is available on our podcast channel on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We will talk more later about Tatum's comments on you know, if I had done this earlier, I'd be the MVP. And if that rubbed you the wrong way, it doesn't rub Adam the wrong way. We'll kind of take your thoughts on that in the 6 o'clock hour. Um, I love that question, though, as far as which young player do you most enjoy watching? We asked it to Freddie Coleman last week, too, of ESPN Radio, and he said John Morant was his favorite. Kaufman says Luca is his favorite, and Luca's my favorite. So the question, I guess, is, why isn't Tatum in why is Tatum not as pleasing to the eye? Again, does not mean he's not as good, does not mean he's not better. Why is he not as pleasing to the eye? I think to Adam's degree, he doesn't have the flash that John Morant has, and he doesn't have the novelty that Luka Doncic has. Luka Doncic is a guy we don't really know that much about. He comes over from a different country. He doesn't have the hype. He didn't have the uh, you know the recruiting trail, the AAU history. So you know, just a guy that we're getting to know more. When when someone is more unknown, I think your eyes are instantly more drawn to them because we haven't been watching Luka Doncic for very long. We've seen Tatum. We've known about Tatum. He was a known commodity to you know. Even before he got to Duke, he was a known commodity by people. I can tell you this. The the young player I don't enjoy watching, that's Trey Young. Now, I got some mild vested interest in the Hawks in that my brother was high school teammates with Kevin Herter, the starting guard there. So, like, I enjoy watching Hawks games to see Kevin. Trey Young, to me, is just infuriating to watch. Even when he plays well, it's like, never met a shot he didn't like. Didn't like Four, seven feet behind the line early in the shot clock. Doesn't matter. Trey Young is firing it up. So I love watching Tatum. Luca is my guy number one. But I can tell you, Trey Young is way down my list. All right, Ryan Davis. He's leaving UVM. What is next for the program, and what is next for him? We'll tell you about it all. That's next on WDEV AM and FM ninety six. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Thanks to Adam Kaufman for joining us again. Again, the full interview available on our podcast channel, as is every single day. Our full show is available there as well. It's free. You can download it every day on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. So the news that we didn't want to get but that we expected to get came down today. Ryan Davis is foregoing his extra year of eligibility at UVM and he's going to try to play professionally. He said it on Instagram. He wants to pursue professional basketball, so he is not going to use his extra year of eligibility. Remember, he's already played four years at UVM. He had a fifth year because of COVID that was available to him. He's foregoing it. One, totally expected. Two, I wish him the absolute best. We expected this to happen. We were ready 
for Ryan Davis to leave UVM. Now, we didn't necessarily know if he was going to go pro or if he was going to use that extra year and go somewhere else to play college basketball, but but we knew and we said multiple times that Ryan Davis was not going to be at UVM next year. I didn't know if he was going to go play somewhere else in Division One and try to get deeper into an NCAA tournament or if he was going to go try to play pro, but we knew he wasn't going to UVM. Today we get the answer, he wants to play pro. First off, congratulations to him. An unbelievable UVM career in really turbulent times. Like This is a turbulent time to be a college basketball player. And Ryan Davis navigated it well and, and dominated it. I mean, this is a kid who came in as a freshman and, and played, but didn't play a ton. Averaged three points a game. And the next year, he averages 10 a game. And he wins sixth man of the year in the conference. And then we don't get to see him in the conference final and hopefully the NCAA tournament because the pandemic shuts everything down at the very beginning. Then last year in a conference-only schedule, Ryan Davis wins player of the year and averages 18 a game or 19 a game. And this year he averages 17 a game on a really good team and wins player of the year again. Ryan Davis had a great career, consistently got better, turned himself from a useful bench piece into a key cog in a starting lineup of a really good team, turned himself into a good defensive player, a two-way offensive player with, with versatility, and he transformed his body into a player that was leaner, more athletic. It's all a testament to his hard work, to his willingness to work, and his willingness to get better. Congratulations to Ryan Davis. Thank you for the memories. Thank you for the moments. Thank you for your commitment. It's been a pleasure to watch Ryan Davis play in Catamount Country for the next four years, and or for the last four years, rather. And he's going to join now a long list of recent Catamounts who have played pro basketball. And, I mean, he's going to play somewhere professionally. Trey Bell Haynes, Anthony Lamb, Peyton Henson, Drew Urquhart, they've all played or are currently playing professionally. I believe that Ben Shungu is going to play somewhere. I believe that Steph Smith is going to play somewhere. You are seeing a lot of recent catamounts play professional basketball, which is an incredible feat. I mean, America East schools putting out one pro player would be an incredible feat. To get a program that's putting out multiple pro players per year that's an incredible feat, too, and it's a great accomplishment for UVM and for the program. So, Ryan Davis, best of luck to you. I'm sure that he will do well in whatever he does and wherever he does it. But for the Catamounts, this does create a massive gap in the program. UVM is now going to lose at least four starters from this year's team heading into next year. I don't care how good your program is. Losing four starters is losing four starters. That's not that's not fun to do. That's hard to do. And it's going to take a lot of work to keep UVM at the level that they've been at when you lose four starters. I mean, Ben Shungu and Ryan Davis are gone. Justin Missoula, Isaiah Powell are gone. That's your top four scorers. So it's four starters and your top four scorers that are all going to be gone. That's not easy to overcome. Again, it doesn't matter where you're playing. 
doesn't matter if you're at Duke, at UVM, or the worst team in the country. When you lose four starters, you are talking about significant turnaround and now significant portions of your team that need to be rebuilt. Um, it's not easy to overcome. So uh, Ryan Davis leaving. Again, we expected it, but it creates a massive hole now in the middle, in the lane, and a massive gap just on the stat sheet as well. Ryan Davis today on Instagram announcing that he is leaving UVM. A couple of texts coming in on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. This one comes from Willie in Hardwick. Do you think that Davis leaving makes it likelier that John Becker leaves as the head coach? Well, Willie, I have been saying this from the start. I don't know if John Becker's going to leave. I certainly could see him wanting to leave, right? But just because you want to leave, it does not mean that you get to leave, right? He's still got to get the interview. He's still got to wow someone, and he's still got to actually get hired. So he can't just snap his fingers and be gone, but I absolutely could see him wanting to leave as a result of, of all of this here and all of this turno tur uh, turnover. When you lose 80% of your starting lineup, your four top scores, and two transformative players within your program, that's hard. That sets you back. And for a guy in John Becker who has been so close and a guy who his his lone goal now is to win in the tournament, well, I could see him not wanting to be at a place that now appears further away from his goal. This program next year will not be as good as the program this year. It's just it's not going to be the case. Doesn't mean they can't win the league. Doesn't mean they can't have a good record. But they are not getting a 13 seed in next year's NCAA tournament and being at the forefront of everyone's mind when we talk about upsetting a high major team. That's just not going to be next year's team. There's too much turnover for that. So Davis gone, Shungu gone, Powell gone, Missoula gone. It's why I said. It's why I said before after the Arkansas game, this kind of felt like a last dance. If I'm John Becker and I'm in my 50s, and my goal is to win a tournament game. I don't know that I'd want to go through what's going to happen here. That's significant. That, that's a significant repairing of your roster to get it to be as good as it just was. As good as it's been. Doesn't mean it's impossible. But if John Becker has one goal, then, and that one goal is to win in the tournament, he is now further away from that. So, yes, I could see him wanting to leave. But it does not mean that he will leave. You've got to get the interview. There's got to be an opening you like. You've got to get the interview. You've got to wow somebody. They've got to offer you the job, and the money's got to be right and everything for you to accept. There's a lot that goes into taking another job. So John Becker may very well still be here next year. But if he wasn't, I could understand why. A lot of turnover. Not easy. Not fun for a coach who has, again, been that close to the top of the mountain. I could understand not wanting to go backwards. All right. Kevin in Burlington. Brady, do you think that Ryan Davis will get NBA looks? Looks? Yes. Do I think that he'll get drafted? No. I do think that Ryan Davis will get looks. He's six foot eight. He can shoot the ball from the outside. 
So I think he absolutely gets looks. Summer League, G League, I think he'll get a look. He'll probably get an extended look. But I don't think that Ryan Davis gets drafted. I don't think he's a guy that we can pencil in as a lock to progress beyond those initial looks. He's six foot eight. He's kind of a tweener at the NBA game, right? He's six eight. He's not a hyper athletic, dominant, strong post player. That's not really his game. And he's not athletic enough to be a guaranteed home run on the wing. He's also not a dynamite ball handler. So, and I, like, I don't think that Ryan Davis is as good as Anthony Lamb was coming out. And Lamb didn't get drafted either. So, that's my assessment. I hope I'm wrong. I hope Ryan Davis goes to the NBA. And I hope that he has a 10-year career in the NBA. I don't think that it's likely. He'll get looks. Six, when you're 6'8", that gets you, you know, that, that cracks the door open a little bit. When you're a two-time conference player of the year, that kind of cracks the door open a little bit further. When you're a 6'8", two-time conference player of the year and you could shoot, that cracks it open a little bit further. But there is a point where I think that that door stops cracking open for Ryan Davis. He's not hyper-strong to bully you in the post at 6'8". He's not hyper-quick or a hyper-great ball handler to sit and say, okay, he's going to be a perimeter player. He's going to be a great wing. Like, I mean, Jalen Brown is like, I mean, how tall is Jalen Brown? Like, let's look that up real quick. I mean, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum is like 6'7", isn't he? Jalen Brown is 6'6". I mean, look at the difference in athleticism between Jalen Brown and Ryan Davis. I mean, that that's who, who Tatum is 6'8". Tatum is that, that's the kind of player who is playing on the wing exclusively in the NBA, not Ryan Davis. So, again, does he get a look? Yes. Do I think he's a drafted player? That I'll say no. I'll say this, though, and I thought about this earlier. I think that Ryan Davis, I think that he thinks he's going to get looks in the NBA. I think he thinks he's going to get NBA looks. And here's why I say that. If Ryan Davis's choices, if his choices were playing professionally in Europe or going to another school, transferring from UVM, going to another school and trying to make a deep tournament run, don't you think he would choose playing at the tournament, trying to get to the tournament again over playing in Europe? Like if you told me, I can go to Villanova or Kansas and maybe go to the Final Four. Or I can go pro and play a year in Poland. Well, I think I would choose going to Kansas or going to Villanova. That seems to me like that would be my choice. If it's overseas or a deep tournament run, I'm choosing a deep tournament run. That tells me that Ryan Davis has to think he's going to get an NBA look. Because an NBA look is better than a deep tournament run. So that tells me that he thinks he's got to look. And, and look, he's a two-time player of the year. He's accomplished everything he can accomplish here in college basketball. His stock is at its very highest right now. Because if he goes to Kansas, he's not going to be a guy who plays 28 minutes a game, 30 minutes a game, and scores 18 in the Big 12. He'd be a role player. So if he wants to maximize on his value, his value right now will never be higher. And if he can turn that in his mind into an NBA shot, 
then I'd do it too. But this tells me he's not looking to play in Europe right away. Because if it was Kansas, Villanova, you know, Arizona, Illinois, where he's from, the state of Illinois, if I could go to those places and maybe get to an Elite Eight, Final Four, and win a national title, if it's that or, you know, a year in Argentina, I'd be choosing staying stateside and using my extra year of college eligibility. College eligibility. If it's Kansas, Arizona, Villanova, or an NBA look, then I'd be choosing the NBA. But that that's my gut here on uh, on Ryan Davis. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Um, okay, we'll take a couple more texts here after the fact. But, uh, all right, let's get to who's saying what. We do this every single weekday, so here it is. Who's saying what? Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? Mac Jones. Good Lord. Mel Kuyper's got to slow down on this. Mac Jones ain't going to work, folks. It's not going to work. He's got to come to terms with it. It's not going to work. They really said that? Every damn thing is politics and race, and I'm losing my mind over it. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB-AM, FM, and WDEBradio.com. Who's Saying What brought to you by Vermont Laser Wash. That's Central Vermont's home of unlimited car washes. It begins at just $20 a month if you want. That and $20 a month, unlimited car washes. If you want just one free car wash, you can text the word Vermont to the number 30 and then 400. So that's 30 and then 400. So the Patriots re-signed cornerback Malcolm Butler last week to a two-year deal. And to me, Malcolm Butler is a lottery ticket. He's nothing more than that. Here's what Phil Perry of NBC Sports Boston, Patriots insider, here's what he had to say about what Butler has left in the tank. And Malcolm Butler, though, still could be, could be an important signing for the Patriots if he's the guy he was in 2020. Having spoken to an NFL evaluator, Tom, who scrutinized his film closely from that year, his last year with the Titans, still twitchy, still good instincts, still good ball skills, still plenty of quickness, quicker than fast at 32 years old. And so that's not going to make him a Tyreek Hill eraser. The Patriots still need more speed, but could be helpful if he's that guy from a couple seasons. Let me preface my thoughts on Malcolm Butler signing this way. It's a good move. It's a good depth move. It's the kind of move for the Patriots that can really supplement your roster if it works. If it works. But it's not a game-changing move. Bringing in Malcolm Butler as your third or fourth corner and seeing what you've got, that's 100% fine. It's incredibly smart If that's your scenario, that's a worthwhile gamble. But bringing Malcolm Butler in and having him right now as your first or second best defensive back, that is not a prudent strategy. Okay, Hope is not a strategy. Not in this NFL. In this NFL, I am not pinning all of my hopes on 32-year-old defensive backs that have been out of football for a year. Like I told you last week, Build up the entree on your plate and then fill out the rest of the plate. Fill out the outside of the plate. The Patriots are giving me a bunch of the outside stuff and none of the great steak, that great entree. Malcolm Butler is a good depth move. 100%. I would have made that too. But if And if he's my fourth corner, if he's a guy I bring into training camp and I just see what's there, then that's great. 
What Malcolm Butler can't be is me as my plan for being my top DB. To Phil's point, he is not a Tyreek Hill eraser. This Patriots team is devoid of high-end talent. They've got some good players. They've got some good role pieces, some good depth guys. What they are lacking is stars. I agree with what Albert Breer, the Monday morning quarterback, had to say about Butler. I like the gamble. I think it's, you know, he's obviously got history with the Patriots. You don't don't need to teach him the scheme. And he's going to be motivated to show that he's still got something left. I'm I'm with this move. I think this is a good move as long as you're not banking on it working. Like this has got to be a gamble, Phil, Tom, that I think you have to back up with maybe another free agent signing with draft picks. Corner to me is still a need. Yes, right there. I'm glad that Breer and I agree on this. It's a gamble. It's a gamble worth taking, but it's not a gamble that you bank on. It's not a gamble that you sit and say, okay, we've got a sure thing here. And Malcolm Butler. Like, look at the Red Sox last year, right? They took a flyer on Hunter Renfro. $3 million. Hunter Renfro hits 30 home runs and drives in 95. A complete massive hit. That That's a gamble worth taking. If Hunter Renfro had hit 210, though, I wouldn't have been surprised. I wouldn't have been surprised. Like, if Malcolm Butler comes in and flames out, I'm not going to be shocked. If they strike gold with him and the way the Red Sox did with Renfro, then, then all the better. But it's not something you go into a season planning for. The Patriots still need, to Breer's point, to draft high-end talent. Stephon Gilmore is still out there on the free agent market. Can you bring him back too? I, if you bring back Gilmore, then I'm feeling better about things. But until that happens, I'm just kind of like, 32-year-old defensive back that we hope still has it? Hope is not a strategy. Hope is not a strategy. There is something, though, with the Patriots I was excited about today. I don't know if you saw this. Mike Reese of ESPN said the Patriots are working out free agent safety Jabril Peppers. Do you remember Peppers? He was a top, he was a first-round pick of the Cleveland Browns several years ago. He's only 26 years old still. He played at Michigan, first-round pick of the Browns. Browns traded him to the Giants as part of the Odell Beckham Jr. trade. So I like Peppers. And if the Patriots signed him, this would be a guy that I would be excited about, that I would be intrigued about. 26 years old, versatile, and athletic. Look, he's he's returned kicks, or he's returned punts in the NFL, good ball skills, physical, athletic. Patriots kind of did this with Adrian Phillips a couple of years ago, right? They brought him in, a special teams player who was athletic, and they made him a really good safety. Now, they've got... Um, Duggar, and they've got Phillips, so I don't know exactly what they would need from Adrian Phillips, but I can find, for someone that athletic, that young, with that kind of pedigree, played at Michigan, played in the Big Ten, and then first-round pick, has played for Joe Judge already, so at least has some familiarity with with a coach on the staff, that's a move I would make seven days a week and twice on Sunday. I, I would absolutely bring in Jabril Peppers and find a way to use his athleticism. That's the kind of explosive player the Patriots need. Again, it's also a lottery ticket. That is not a game-changing move, but it would start to get me more excited about where this team is at because he's that kind of special athlete, and the Patriots need that kind of special athlete. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, a couple notes at a Red Sox spring training 
Red Sox were given a C-plus from ESPN for their offseason performance. Too low or right on target? We'll talk about it next on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Make your opinion heard by texting onto the Brady Farkas Show at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Show brought to you in part by Pro Driver Training. That's Pro Driver Training, Vermont's premier truck driver training school online at ProDriverCDL.com. They've got facilities in Enosburg, also in Milton. And if you're looking for the next step in your career, well, Pro Driver Training just might be the best spot for you. They can help with your Class A CDL, your Class B CDL, and you can work on passenger and advanced skills training as well. A couple of random notes and quick thoughts here at a Red Sox spring training. Well, we're 10 days away now from opening day. April 7th, Sox and Yankees. We'll have it for you here on DEV. Our coverage that day will begin at 12.05. Our first pitch will be at 1.05. Garrett Cole against Nathan Evaldi will be that pitching matchup. Uh, all right, a couple of news and notes. Red Sox have optioned speedy outfielder Jaron Duran down to AAA, and not a big surprise here, but uh, Trying to figure out who the fourth outfielder is going to be for the Red Sox. It looks like the starters are going to be Kike in center with JBJ and Verdugo in the outfield. You've obviously got a little bit of flexibility there where, you know, guys can play in other places as far, you know, maybe a, a backup guy can play in the outfield. But by and large, like, that's who you're going to roll with. Um, fourth outfielder, not going to be Durant. Maybe it's Franchi Cordero. Maybe it's. Uh, you know, this kid, Fitzpatrick or Fitzgerald or whatever his name is, it's tearing up the Grapefruit League, who now we need all need to learn about. I don't know, but Jaron Duran's not going to be that guy. It doesn't surprise me if he's still among your higher-level prospects. You want him to play every single day, and he's not going to play every single day at the majors right now. But Jaron Duran does need to have a role on this team this year. If they're not going to go out and make a move, right? Like, I want him to go sign Michael Conforto. If they sign Conforto then Duran is is kind of obsolete and he's tradable. But until then, unless that happens, Duran's going to have to play a part on this team. He's got too high of a prospect pedigree and they've got too much invested in him for him to be a total flop. He's got to figure out exactly how to shorten up and hit for more contact because last year he was striking out left and right when he came up. So they need Duran to... You know, having you know, get better offensively so he can be on the field at the major league level, and they need him to be able to use his speed. Like every major league player has one great trait, at least. The best ones are five tool players, but at least one great trait. Durant is his speed. He's got to be here at some point to be able to use it. So, Durant down to AAA. We'll see exactly what they do with him. Did you see Marcelo May? Uh, Marcelo Mayer. Red Sox, one of their top prospects. I think number 14 overall in Major League Baseball. I think that's second in the Red Sox organization behind Cassis, if I'm remembering correctly. He homered off Nathan Avaldi. Simulated game. My, uh, Mayer, the fourth selection last year in the draft, but 19 years old, he homered off your opening day starter. I know it's a simulated game. I know it's on a backfield. I know it doesn't have the adrenaline of Yankee Stadium. Nathan Avaldi throws 99 miles an hour. Even if he's throwing 96, I'm impressed that 
a 19-year-old who's done nothing but play on the Florida Complex League Red Sox. I'm impressed that that guy could take him deep, and I believe it was to, it was very grainy video, but I, I believe it was to deep right center field. Like I mean, we're talking over 400 feet. Sweet swing, good bat speed. Marcelo Mayer is at least, at least three years away. I mean, he's not. We're not talking about him being any kind of answer for the Red Sox anytime soon. But he is going to be a guy that we're going to be excited to follow as we move forward here. So, I mean, if you're telling me 19 years old, 420, 430 feet off someone's major league opening day starter, I'm intrigued. And we as fans, we love to follow prospects, right? We love to follow prospects. You get invested in them early. You talk about them. You covet them. You want to hoard them. And you cannot wait for them to get to the big leagues. And Marcelo Mayer is going to be here at some point. Not not anytime soon. But when I see videos like that, I get more excited about following him and his progress. I mean, think about, you know, Mookie, Ben Attendee, Devers, all guys that we've loved following through the years. JBJ as they moved their way up forward. Mayer is going to be in that class. Uh, okay, Red Sox were given a C-plus from ESPN for their offseason grade. C plus. Here's what they say. We love this Trevor Story signing. Believe he'll bounce back from an average 2021. As a pull hitter, he'll love Fenway. He'll play second this year, but also provides insurance at shortstop if Xander Bogarts opts out. We don't quite understand the Jackie Bradley trade after he hit 163 last year. And the Rich Hill, Michael Waka, James Paxton trio is more like a fishing expedition to see if one works out. Hill did make 31 starts last year, but he's also 42 and missed time in both 2019 and 20. Paxton underwent Tommy John surgery last April and won't be back until later in the season. Do you give the Red Sox, do you, do you agree with their C-plus assessment, or do you think the Red Sox were better or worse? 802-585-3026 on the Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line. I agree. I largely agree. C-plus sounds fair to me. I think the Red Sox have not had a very good offseason. Like, the story move is an excellent one. I think it's good money. I think it works well with this roster. I think that moved that move saved what had been a dreadful offseason to that point. But all in all, this piece reminds us that, you know, even as excited as we were last week, this has not been a good offseason otherwise. You lost Hunter Renfro, a guy who hit 30 home runs for cheap. You lost Eduardo Rodriguez, a guy who, even if he drove you crazy, could make 30 starts and was dependable to go out there every fifth day. And you brought in a bunch of question marks. Jackie Bradley Jr. is a question mark. That move to bring JBJ back was supposed to be about the prospects acquired. Instead, it's looking like it's more about Jackie Bradley Jr., He's a question mark after hitting 163. What does he have offensively? How much better than 163 can he be from a year ago? Look, can he hit 220? Can he hit 240? Can he hit 270? We have no idea. That's why he's a question mark. You brought in Rich Hill, a 42-year-old pitcher. There's always question marks with 40-plus-year-old players. 40-plus-year-old pitchers, even more so. Michael Waka, is he a starter? Is he a tweener? Is he a long guy? He's going to start as a starter. 
What can we get out of Hauk and Whitlock? What about the back end of the bullpen? There are questions on this team. There are things that were not addressed. Trevor's story saved the offseason from being a complete failure. But to ESPN's point, the rest of the offseason around him, not so great. Questions in the back of the bullpen. Question at the back end of your rotation. The James Paxton one, I have no problem with. that. That is a flyer, and the Red Sox know it. But the guys they're depending on, like Hill and Waka and Bradley, they're question marks, and they're fair questions to ask. So, um, yeah, C-plus C sounds perfectly fair to me. Average would be a C. Maybe you go slightly above because you brought in a really good player that fits your ballpark well and solidifies your infield. That's how good the story signing is. But the rest of it? Look, you missed out on Saya Suzuki. I don't even know if you were in it on him, but it reports were that you were. You missed out on Saya Suzuki. You haven't made the call on Conforto. You didn't get Carlos Rodon. All the things that we would have wanted you to do, all the things that would have made this a complete home run, they didn't do them. Story saved it. But everything else, they didn't get Correa. They didn't get Semyon. They didn't get Rodon. I didn't care for Verlander, but they didn't get him. It's been a, it was a bad offseason until Trevor's story. They could still sign Conforto and make it a whole lot better, but they have shown no inclination in wanting to do that right now. So opening day coming up. April 7th. By the way, interestingly enough, the Yankees were given a D-plus grade, the Blue Jays were given a C, and the Rays were given a C. So actually the Red Sox were given the best grade of any of those teams. Yankees, D-plus, um, yeah, I would say that's right. Donaldson is a huge question mark. Kiner Falefa is a good move to bring him in. Donaldson's a huge question mark. They didn't do really anything else. They've taken away a bat in Luke Voigt, and they've taken away... At-bats from D.J. LeMahieu, that's never a good thing. So, and the Yankees haven't gotten Aaron Judge signed to a longer-term deal. So, uh, we don't know yet about Luis Severino and where he's at, really. I mean, he's been hit around a bit here in spring training. So, Yankees, they did have a bad offseason. They didn't get Freddie Freeman. They didn't get Matt Olson. They didn't get Montas or uh, Manaya from the A's. They didn't get Castillo or Maley from the Reds. Any guys they might have been interested in, they didn't get. And they traded away Gary Sanchez, who a lot of you will be happy about that. But, you know, for someone who loves homegrown players, that's never fun to do, getting rid of homegrown players. Blue Jays, I think they had the best offseason. They lose Robbie Ray, the Cy Young winner. That's a big loss. But you do get Kevin Gosman. Won a bunch of games last year for the Giants. Good pitcher. You bring in Matt Chapman, who is an excellent defensive player. And... You know, you go and get um, get who else? Uh, let's see. I have my notes here. Chapman. I mean, Gosman is the big one with Chapman. I, I I think that I think that they I think the Blue Jays did better than the C. I I think the Blue Jays had a better off season than the Red Sox. Even though you lose Ray, I think bringing in Chapman is good. And then you know, hopefully for them, a better Kevin Biggio as well. Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. Oh, yeah, Travis says they also got Jose Barrios to a long-term deal. Good reminder on that. So you get Gosman, Barrios, and you bring in 
Chapman. So that's certainly good as well. Um, and then Anthony says the other teams in the division already have the talent the Red Sox need. That's a good point as well. You know, the other teams didn't have to make huge moves. I would argue the Yankees did. I, I don't love what the Yankees did. I think getting a D-plus grade is probably fair. They they needed Correa or they needed Story or they needed Semyon, and they didn't get any of them. They also didn't get Freeman or Olsen who they needed. I mean, bringing in Rizzo, Rizzo's nowhere near the player that Freeman or Olsen are. They didn't get anybody on the pitching side of things. So the, the, the Yankees, they're still good. They do have a lot of talent, 100% right about that. But they had significant spots they could have upgraded, and they didn't end up getting any of them. So uh, interesting question, by the way, 802-585-3026. I, I got asked this over the weekend. I don't remember who or where it was asked of me. But somebody said, Brady, why can't UVM do what St. Peter's has done? St. Peter's, a 15 seed from the MAC a conference not that much better than the America East, winning three games in the tournament, pulling off the greatest tournament run of all time, you know, as a 15 seed getting all the way to the Elite Eight. Why can't that be UVM, Brady, I was asked? Look, the short answer is that that can be UVM. What happened for St. Peter's can happen to UVM. It just hasn't. It's hard. It's damn near impossible to do what St. Peter's has done. That's why it had never been done before. But it is possible, as St. Peter's showed you. And I want you all to know this. While still damn near impossible, it is actually getting easier for teams to do what St. Peter's did, or at least for lower-seeded teams to do what St. Peter's has done. Maybe not 15 seeds, but it's getting easier for schools to be able to go deep into the tournament. And number one, it's always going to depend on matchups. That's always going to be what it comes down to. In your first round matchup, do you match up well enough? And can you, you know, can you pull that first upset? Because once you pull the first one, life gets a little bit easier going into the second one. But beyond that, you know, if the, let's just say the matchup is right for you. The transfer portal has made some of these blue bloods more susceptible, right? These programs lose talent at a lot greater rate than ever before, so they don't look the same from year to year, and they don't have that cohesion from year to year. So if you look at a school like UVM or St. Peter's that tend to keep its players for all four years, well, that cohesion is a big advantage. Two, there's also just more talent in college basketball in general. Before, there were less good players, and they all concentrated in a very few schools, right? Duke, North Carolina, Kansas, Kentucky. Now, there's more good players, and they're all a lot more spread out. So the field is more diluted. There's a bunch of good teams. We're not sure year to year if there's a whole lot of great teams. So kids are going other places. So you can see a Purdue that is good, but not necessarily great. You can see a Duke that is good, but not necessarily dominant. So it's easier to beat a good team than it is to beat an incredible team. And then more smaller schools are putting resources into it. That's what UVM is supposedly doing with their arena plan. So again, St. Peter's doesn't put a whole lot into it. So what they've done is even more magical because of that. But 
When you say, why can't UVM do what St. Peter's does? The answer is they can. Not easy, but the talent is more spread out. The top teams are more diluted than they've ever been because of that. You're putting more resources in than you ever have, we think, or we're being told. And, you know, if you get a good matchup, anything is possible. So, all right. Brady Farkas show here on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. NFL owners meetings are going on right now. Bill Belichick is already in midseason form. Put this Bill Belichick quote in the Bill Belichick quote Hall of Fame. I'll tell you what he said. That's next on WDEV, AM and FM. Ready to hear your opinion on the sports stories of the day? Text in at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back. Brady Farkas Show here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Jazz with George Thomas kicks off here in about 10 minutes, and then it's Eye on the World with John Batchelor. That comes up at 9 o'clock. Bill Belichick was in rare form today at the NFL owners' meetings. This was put this one in the Bill Belichick Hall of Fame. This was incredible. So, Bill Belichick was asked a question about like who's going to call plays for the Patriots' offense. Remember, they've they've lost Josh McDaniel, so they don't have an offensive coordinator officially, and they've got Joe Judge and Matt Patricia and Belichick himself. Like, who's going to be the guy? Who's going to call plays? Here's what Belichick said: I won't be calling any for a while. We're not going to be calling any plays for a while, a.k.a. buzz off. We don't play a game for five and a half months. It doesn't matter who's calling plays. We don't have to call any for a while. That is an incredible answer. I won't be calling any for a while. I Put it in the Hall of Fame. Here's how the rest of that went, though, from Bill, just for I good measure. I won't be calling any for a while. So we're not calling any for a while. We don't have any games that are all. So, um... Yeah, I think our staff is complete. Um, wouldn't rule anything out, but I don't. I don't think we necessarily would hire anybody else. But we'll evaluate every situation as it comes. Look, on the serious side of things, you know how I feel about this. I, I think that this is a. I hate the way that this is shaping up. The Patriots need an offensive coordinator. The Patriots need an offensive coordinator who is good, because you need an offensive coordinator that can help Mac Jones develop. For the Patriots, that literally is not the only thing that matters, but it's pretty darn close to the only thing that matters. Mac Jones' development is what matters to you most. It's what matters to this organization most. We've all talked, I have talked ad nauseum, about how far behind the Patriots are in the AFC. Well, why are they so far behind? Because of how good the other quarterbacks are. You need an offensive coordinator that can bring out the absolute best in Mac Jones. And maybe you can prove me wrong. And maybe you can prove the other doubters wrong. And if Mac Jones can transform into that kind of quarterback, you're going to need an offensive coordinator who's capable of bringing it out in him. And right now, you don't have that. You have... Bill Belichick, who's over 70 years old, or who's 70 years old, look, fine. He's still a great coach. He's got other responsibilities. He cannot be the guy holding Mac Jones's hand through the 2022 season. It can't all fall on him. He's got other things to do. And if he goes to Mac, then other things are going to really suffer. That can't happen. 
Matt Patricia is a longtime defensive coach who took last year, you know, in a consulting role. I can't make him the offensive coordinator. I just can't. He is known for his defense. I cannot put my organization's future, and the quarterback is my future, I cannot put that future in his hands. Joe Judge is a no-personality special teams guy who's a failed head coach at this point. Doesn't mean he doesn't doesn't belong on my staff. In fact, I don't mind that he even works on the offense, but he can't be in charge of my offense. How this is shaping up for the Patriots is not something that I'm real excited about. Look, if you don't want to hire the 30-year-old hotshot, the next Sean McVay because it's too risky, then so be it. But you also can't just have this Belichick, Judge, Patricia triumvirate and think that it's going to bring out the best in your young quarterback. It's not. And bringing out the best in my young quarterback, that is all that matters. If you want to get to the level of the Bengals, if you want to get to the level of the Bills, if you want to get to the level of Baltimore, if you want to get to the level of any of the teams in the AFC West, you're going to need your quarterback to be really good. And I just don't think you're setting Mac Jones up to be really good in this scenario. I think Mac Jones is good on his own. I think he is good on his own. I think he can overcome a lot. I think he will still be fine if this is the setup. But I don't want him to just be fine. Just being fine will not get the Patriots where we want them to go. And that's back to the playoffs and that's back to winning Super Bowls. If Mac Jones is just fine then the Patriots are screwed. They need him to be great. And the best way to get him to be great is to have an offensive coordinator that he can trust and that you can trust and that we can all trust to do a good job. And I don't think that this brain trust right now is that group. I also don't like that you got a couple of guys who are going to be really in debt to Bill Belichick, right? Matt Patricia and Joe Judge were on the scrap heap. Bill Belichick brought them back. They owe him a lot, do they not? And when you owe somebody a lot, you're a lot less likely to question him or stand up or whatever. Like I feel like you're going to get this yes-men type quality from these coaches, and that's not something that I think is good for the Patriots either. So I think you need somebody who can challenge Bill Belichick respectfully, but somebody who has ideas, who brings something to the table. And right now, what I think these guys bring to the table is a yes-men type ab- uh, attitude. So uh, that's my two thoughts on that. And I'm not the only one who feels that way. Like Lewis Riddick last week said something very similar, that uh, it's all about Mac Jones. He needs somebody he's comfortable with. And Patricia and Judge, I, I just don't see them being the perfect answers. So it's a Brady Farkas show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Thank you to Adam Kaufman of WBZ News Radio in Boston, also the Celtics Beat Podcast, for joining us. News not good on Robert Williams. Hopefully some better news comes at the end of the week when we find out exactly what his timetable for recovery is. Celtics take on the uh, Toronto Raptors tonight north of the border. Seas will play without Williams, Tatum, or Jalen Brown, but they do have a six-game winning streak on the line tonight. That'll do it for us. Go download the podcast again on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. And now stick around for Jazz with George Thomas. And then you've got Eye on the World with John Batchelor and ESPN Radio tonight coming up at 1 a.m. I'll see you tomorrow, everybody. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM.